Thank you, Matt and team, for leading us this morning into the Lord's presence and worship. Just one quick announcement before we begin this back into Revelation chapter 2. Just want to let you know that tonight there is Sunday night service and that we will be focusing our attention on does the Bible give us evidence for a rapture? Okay, so we're going to look at this. We're going to field some questions. We're going to look at some scriptures. We're going to talk about this tonight. It'll be an interesting conversation. I'd encourage you, if you're able to join us, uh, by all means, join us uh, tonight. Revelation. Revelation means to unveil, to reveal. What it reveals is Jesus Christ. Right in the opening verse of chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. And so revelations about revealing, it's about revealing the truth about who Jesus Christ is. There's a blessing attached to the one who reads this book. There's a blessing attached for the one who hears and obeys the words that are written in this book. And so there is great blessing to travel through this book of Revelation. To many, this book has some confusing aspects, some things that seem to be kind of unique and challenging to work through. Uh, And that's okay, and we're going to try to focus our attention on some things, but remember the whole focus and theme we want to accomplish through here is finding hope through Revelation. If you think about it today, there are many people who need hope. Right? They need something to hope in. There's many lives that are, are in chaos, struggling, challenge, anxiety, fear of the future, of things in their lives. Even within our own body, there's many struggles and challenges. Not only the ones we've prayed for, but there's some who are going through some really challenging times in our life. And so we need that hope. We need to find that rock that we can stand upon. And Jesus Christ is our hope. He is our rock. And uh, I hope as we continue this series, you see a picture of Jesus a little more clearer that helps you find the hope that is found here in the book of Revelation. The Revelation is written by John, who's banished to the island of Patmos. Uh, He's banished because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's a fellow fellow believer who's in persecution, as some of the believers are at this time, as we've seen in the churches. Where God revealed these things to John through an angel. And the book is written to seven churches which are in modern day Turkey. John hears a loud voice. He turns and he sees Jesus which is described for us in chapter 1, 12-16. John is instructed to write these things. The things that, he is, that are, the things, uh, the things that he has seen, the things that are, and the things that will take place after this. Revelation 2, we began our journey into the letters of the seven churches to Ephesus. If you recall, in Ephesus there was a description of Jesus He holds the stars in His right hand and He walks amongst the seven churches. He's told, I know. I know. He knows that they are working hard, that there's an endurance there, that they're committed to the truth and to to holding doctrine 
the Word of God, their resolve to test and to see and to make sure that those who are, who are expounding it are truthful in what they're saying. Right? And, and, and he see that their dedication to Jesus and His name is an amazing dedication. But he appeals, he appeals back the layers and he begins to expose their hearts and he says that he has this against them, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, repent, and return to that thing that you had at the beginning, that love of God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because if you fail to do this, your lampstand will be removed from its place. Oh, the Lord works things out. Of all the batteries that would run out on a Sunday morning in the candles that we have before us, it's the one for Ephesus. Just, just pointing that out. God works things out. <clears throat> and then, so what we see is that as long as they re- repent and return to their former thing and their overcomers, that they will eat of the tree of life that's in the paradise of God. If not, their lampstand will be removed. And so there's a call to repentance. We saw in Smyrna. Smyrna, the description of Jesus, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. He says, I know. I know that they live in a place that's Satan's throne. It's where Satan's throne is. I know that you live in a place where Satan dwells. He knows that they hold fast to Jesus' name and have kept the faith. But some, I'm sorry, that they, they've held fast. And so he knows that there's tribulation and there's poverty and there's slander and there's suffering, imprisonment and death through Smyrna. He knows that the costly commitment to stand up for Jesus has cost many their lives. He encourages them, even though that they are in poverty, that they are rich. He encourages them to not fear. He encourages them to remain faithful. And if they do, they will, re- they will receive the crown of life. He says, listen to what I am saying and overcome and you will not see the second death. The separation from the Lord. To Pergamum, the description is the words of Him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know. He says, I know. This is where, sorry. I know where the place where... Satan's throne is and where Satan dwells. This is a Pergamum, I apologize. He knows that they hold fast to Jesus' name and have kept the faith. But there are some who are holding to the teaching of Balaam and some who are holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, both of which were leading the people in the church away from the Lord. They were leading them into evil. They were leading them into practices that God hates. They needed to repent. Otherwise, Jesus would come and He'd make war against them. He says, listen to what is being said and overcome and you will experience the provision of God, the hidden man of the provision of God that you would receive. You will also be invited to the great banquet of the Lord with a white stone of invitation with your new name on it. And so we see the church of Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum. And we will travel into the church of Thyatira. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray as we Look into Your Word this morning again and we're discovering afresh another church letter that You wrote to this church. 
Lord, we are going to see that you here as well as the others will peel back those layers of the heart and expose the things that need to be repented of and changed, the areas of life that we need to surrender to you, and we will see a glimpse of you as we recognize that there is hope even in the midst of a culture of corruption a culture of tolerance. Even within the church culture, it can easily slip in and we need to repent of it and turn from it, but we will see that there is hope in doing so, that we can find that confidence in our stand upon You. So I just pray this morning that You would speak through Your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 2.18. Follow along with me. To the angel of the church at Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am He who seeks the mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, unto you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Just hold on or hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and the one who keeps my words works until the end To him I will give the authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken into pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, he has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Growing up, and maybe... You recall this. Maybe it still is a popular game with the young kids. I'm not sure for sure. But we used to play a game called, What Time Is It, Mr. Wolf? What time is it, Mr. Wolf? One o'clock. Great, we can take one step. right? What time is it, Mr. Wolf? Three o'clock. Three more steps. right? What time is it, Mr. Wolf? Lunchtime. And that's when you got to run back. you got to get out of the way. As we travel through these letters to the seven churches, the more and more I am convinced that we are living in a time that is increasingly like the time of these churches in Revelation. The letters written specifically to a church in Revelation. These are real churches. These are real people. This is a real situation in which they face. And Jesus compliments them. Jesus challenges them. But these churches also represent our day and age, some of the challenges that we face and some of the aspects of these churches we can relate to in our day today. It's a time 
Time is something that's an interesting one to, to think about. In, a, in addition, I believe many of us, including myself, do not fully grasp or realize what time it is. Meaning, many of us can have a tendency to live in the past. It's not the 60s, it's not the 70s, it's not the 80s, it's not the 90s, it's not even the 2000s anymore. In the last 10 years, folks, we have moved from a time that we were kind of familiar with or new to a time today that is totally different. Has totally different challenges for our young people today than we ever faced. And we got to recognize the time we live in. We have to know that we are in a different time. To grow up as a Christian boy or girl, a Christian teenager, or a Christian young adult today is like growing up in like no other time before. Right? These letters to the seven churches speak directly into our lives today as much as they did to these churches when they received them. And so it's important that we pray, protect, and prepare. You remember three Ps? Pray, protect, and prayer. And pray, protect, and prepare. Pray for our families. Pray for our children. That's number one. Prayer is so important. We need to pray for our families and pray for our children. We need to protect our families and protect our children. And we need to prepare our families and prepare our kids to live godly, faithful, and equipped lives. How are we equipping our families and our young people and our kids to live in this world that's totally different than we lived in and even in the last 10 years? Time. Time is something that the Lord also says as He begins this book. The time is near. The time of the Lord's return is near. Also. And so it's it's so important that we think about time as we dive into this letter here. What do you call a grandfather clock? I know I'm moving from serious... What do you call an old? Uh, a, what do you call a grandfather clock? An old timer. Uh, I know. Which animal keeps the best time? A watchdog. Why did the man throw the clock out the window? We all know this one. He wanted to see time fly. You know that one, right? What do you call a tense clock? All wound up. Yeah. Young people, you're not going to get that because wound up, don't they take batteries? Yes. To the angel in the church of Thyatira. So let's go to Revelation chapter 2. The angel to the church of Thyatira, just to quickly give you this understanding. You know, when we're talking about what time is it, Mr. Wolf, it's reflected in this letter. Time and time again, Jesus is going to say in verse 21, I gave her time to repent. Here we see both God's mercy and God's judgment in both aspects presented. He gives time to repent, and yet that time is not an unlimited time. 
He doesn't last forever in the time that He gives to repent. 2 Corinthians 6.2 Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to repent and to turn to the living Savior for salvation. Do not delay. Do not reject the Savior's invitation. Do not reject the Spirit's draw upon your heart as you feel it drawing you to the Savior. The time is now and certainly will not be extended forever. Thyatira. Thyatira is an interesting city. Thyatira, as we look, as we're traveling through, is in, inland. It's not on the coast. It was at one point a capital city of the Asia Minor, uh, but that capital was moved right to Ephesus. And then, so what we find here is that because of the situation of where this city is, on the trade route, and sorry, as Pergamum became a very popular place and a very significant place in Asia Minor, Thyatira became a military ground, and it kind of began the became the buffer system. So what would happen is Thyatira would have many turnovers because the enemy would come in, and as they were coming in on route to Pergamum. They would hit Thyatira, and that's where they would face the battle that would cushion until Thyatira would be, or until Pergamum would be prepared enough to be able to defend itself. So it became kind of that buffer system, and it turned over many times. It was leveled many times, but it became that kind of battleground en route through to Pergamum. Thyatira was the smallest and the least important, it says, of the seven cities Jesus addressed in Revelation 2 and 3. In history, we have no record of the Christians of Thyatira. We have no record that they suffered any significant political or religious persecutions. We don't have any kind of indication of that. It is fascinating that this is one of the longest sections of a letter to one of the most probably insignificant of the cities that we look at here. There is a very little that a way of ex- excavation in this city. They haven't excavated a lot of this city. Just this little plot in the middle of the city. It's a little plot surrounded by all of these modern shops. It's surrounded by the hustle and bustle of the activity of the day. There's, there's uh, markets and shops where you can shop and then it's a little gated area almost like a park-like area where there's just a small little excavation of this of this city and so not much is known but the picture communicates volumes as it relates to the letter to this church see the idea of the time in which we live right is represented in this amazing picture of the past surrounded now by all of the modern city life that has just surrounded this area. Acts 16.14-15 mentions Lydia being from Thyatira, who was the seller of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira was famous for the manufacture of purple dye. And numerous references are found in the sec- uh, secular literature to the period of the trade guilds. A trade guild is sort of like our uh, union's Sort of that aspect. It has a little bit deeper uh, meaning than that. But it's very similar to the kind of union area that we have in our workforce. And so here's what we have is those guilds which manufactured cloth 
and dye was used for purple. Apparently, you can look through the process, a very, very uh, detailed process. It took a lot to make just a little bit of dye, purple dye, and so that's why it became so costly. Barclay says, from the inscriptions which we have found in the neighborhood, it is clear that Thyatira possessed more trade guilds, remember those unions, than any other town its size in Asia. And that's an important aspect to remember these unions because they had a direct impact on the Christians and their uh, work and life. The description of Jesus, the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Have you ever come in contact with somebody that when they looked at you, it was like they were looking right through you? Like their eyes just burned through you. That's either mom or dad usually, right? <laughs> when, when you know you've done something and, and their eyes just, you know. Like, and what is our response usually? Right? But their eyes, just picture this. This is Jesus' eyes, the description of Him. Jesus describes Himself with this title that emphasizes, first of all, His deity. Right? He's the Son of God. And then it reflects the eyes that penetrate it's sort of like he's looking at us with judgment. Right? He's, he's penetrating through to our heart. It pierces right through. And his feet, like burnished bronze, emphasizes his purity. Right? That he's refined bronze, like a, refining it in a fire which produces this pure metal. Bronze was the strongest metal in the ancient world. It was the strongest. It had been purified. It had been gone through this refining process. So it communicates purity, strength, and that he has an immovable character. And that's the description. And he says, I know. Each time in these letters, I know. Again, I just want to emphasize, remember in our lives, he knows. Nothing's hidden. And what does he know? He knows the works of love, the works of faith, the works of service, the patient endurance, these are four great pillars that this church at Thyatira is standing upon. Right? Not only did these four pillars are here, but these pillars grew stronger. Right? The words here that they've, they've continued to grow in these things. Right? They've increased over time. Remember our theme. Right? These things are significant. If you look back at Ephesus, it's interesting. Their challenge was the fact of love. But Thyatira, works of love. Great works. You will see in, uh, when we get, back, we get to Laodicea, we'll see that it'll be faith that's the challenge. And yet, here their works of faith are great. Service and endurance was something that Smyrna was challenged on. Hey, hold fast. Don't lose that, right? Don't lose that service and endurance. Hold on, keep enduring to the end. And here's Thyatira. They are strong in these things. Great pillars that they are established and have held on to and have grown in. Right? They haven't stayed stagnant. They've moved these things forward. But, or nevertheless, despite all of these good qualities, there are some pretty significant blind spots in Thyatira. 
Right? There are some pretty significant blind spots in this church that he needs to make them aware of. You tolerate. Right? You tolerate. You're a tolerant church. You tolerate this woman Jezebel. Here we find the center of the corruption. Right? We find what's really at the heart of it. And Jezebel, this could have been a woman, most likely. She's a prophetess. She's somebody who was um, trying to lead people in a direction. Right? And she could have quite possibly been that. I believe she was a literal individual. It also is interesting because we have a background of somebody, if you know the Old Testament, and you recognize 1 Kings chapter 16-21, through 21, it's all about a story about a woman named Jezebel. Right? And what she did and the destruction she caused and the leading astray that she was involved in with the people of Israel. And so, I'm sure that aspect probably plays into this as well. The name Jezebel had a powerful association with the Jezebel of the Old Testament. Right? If you call somebody a certain name, you think about that name from somebody else usually. Right? There's an association, and that's the same here. We have a strong association with, with Jezebel in the Old Testament. He calls her a prophetess. This Jezebel at the church of Thyatira really, uh, wasn't really a prophetess. She only claimed to be a prophetess. Yet, it seems that the Christians there received her as one. She, they, they welcomed it. And that is why Jesus gave them this warning. You are tolerating, you're welcoming, you're listening to, you're accommodating. In Matthew 24.11, Jesus said that this would happen. There will be many false prophets who will rise up and deceive many. Those words were first spoken in view of the end times, but they definitely have always been words that apply to the church. Even the church today. Jesus gives us specific sin that they were tolerating and that she was teaching and she's drawing people into. Right? It's the practice of sexual immorality and the eating of uh, food offered to idols. See, in that time, the guilds themselves, these unions, they would recognize a deity. They would kind of endorse it. It would be their logo. It would be their, their, their thing that they represents them. And so each person working in these unions, whether you were working in the tomato factory or you're working in the farm or whether you're working in the brick lane or wherever you're working, you would have to associate with the guild. And the guild then would promote these idols and gods. And so there was a very um, difficult time for believers because how do I do that? How do I live out my Christian life in a, in a corrupt culture, in a culture that's tolerating and pointing away from God. How do I do that? How do we do it today? Right? The same call is for us today as we live in our culture today. How do we navigate that? And that's what they had to navigate through. Well, this, we believe Jezebel was leading these people into a tolerance. It's okay. You can live out. In fact, it's probably better as a Christian, that you do live out your life in these areas and kind of gravitate to these things. Let the world kind of sink in because then you have a better opportunity to present Christ. Ever hear those words? Live like the world so you have an opportunity to speak into the world. 
What does God think of that? Well, he didn't think very highly of it here. In fact, there's some deep consequences to that mindset. We're going through a challenge throughout this year of the holiness of God. Well, the holiness of God says it's set apart. It's unlike. And in order to be set apart, you can't live like. That's the call, right? We want to be holy as He is holy. And the only way to do that is to allow God, first of all, to take root in our lives through our turning to Him in faith and trust, acceptance, asking for the forgiveness and saying, God, I need You in my life. I want to trust Jesus that He lived and died and rose again and that He substitutionally paid for my sin on the cross and I can enter into a relationship with Him. I can enter into that relationship with God and I can be forgiven. I can be clean. I can be cleansed. I can be made holy in His sight. And that's where we need to start. And then it's daily. This challenge here, like they are challenged in, is living it out. And they were being accommodating rather than living holy lives. According to the Enduring Word, a commentary, because of the strong trade guilds in Thyatira, the sexual immorality and the eating of things sacrificed to idols was probably connected with the mandatory social occasions of the guilds. It was probably mandatory that they lived out this way. Perhaps Christians were invited to the gatherings of these guilds and these meetings. And then they would have to decide, how am I going to navigate this? Jezebel would allow or encourage people to go. And even prophetically put a word on it, maybe. To say, this is from God. He wants you to do this. And so they would go and they would fall into these sexual immoralities and these sin in their lives. Jezebel was not only leading God's people into sin, but she refused to repent. So, there is a manner where God has made it clear to her, you need to repent. The opportunity has been presented. Somehow she has received that from the Lord, that made from His Word that, hey, I know I need to repent. <clears throat> but she has chosen to refuse to repent. She has refused to repent. Jesus says, <clears throat> I have given you, what's our theme? Time to repent. What a, what, a, what a picture of Jesus. Jesus in our sin still reaches out and says, I give you time to repent. To change. The opportunity. But it says here, she refuses. She has refused to repent and turn from her ways. She rejects the work of the Holy Spirit in her heart and in her life. You have to marvel at this wonderful grace and mercy of our Lord. You may have heard the argument, how could a loving God be so mean and judgmental and, and, and treat people this way? Well, let me tell you that God has the right to judge sin because of His holiness. Because He is not like us. Because He is the Creator of all things. There's no sin in Him. There's, there's no taint of anything in Him. He is holy. He is perfect. 
He has the right to judge sin. Sin's our rebellion. Sin is our wickedness. Sin is our self-centeredness. Our desire to be as God. Our desire to follow other things in our lives other than God. It's us. And if God dealt with us fairly, my friends, how would He deal with us? The moment I sinned, I would be struck down. That's fair in this relationship. Yet He chooses not to. What wonderful grace and mercies extended by Jesus to say that in your condition I have provided for you a way. An opportunity to come. To turn from your sinful ways. To throw yourselves on God's mercy and His love and receive His forgiveness. Wow. The wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus. God gives us time to repent. Is there something? Right? As the eyes of the Lord this morning pierces through, is there something that He may want to deal with us on? You know, as I prepared this, this is the most challenging aspect of the preparation of this message. You're hearing it. I've had to work through it this week. The eyes of the Lord pierce through. He leaves us bare. He un folds those layers of our hearts and He pierces through and says, Todd, what about this? What about that in your life? He gives us time to repent and thank the Lord He does, but His time is not unlimited time. Right? It will not last forever. If we, however, choose not to repent, and as they do, behold, Jesus says that He tells the church they're, they're going to be held accountable for their responsibility. He tells them that He's going to hold them to that. He's going to throw her onto a sickbed and strike her children dead. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. This means both, I believe, physically and spiritually. I think there's a physical aspect to this. And I think there's a spiritual aspect to this. That this could be natural, physical repercussions of sin. Did you know that there are things that we naturally will receive or endure because of our sin that are physical in nature? There also is the spiritual aspect to it. The emotional, the natural repercussions of sexual sin and sin in general. It could be literal, it could be figurative. I believe it's both. Right? And here he says, I will kill her children with death. Trap says, uh, all men die, but all are not killed with death. And it is a woeful thing to be killed with death. We all will die, but to undergo the judgment of God in that is what he's saying here. David Kuzak says, minds and hearts. All right, he goes on to talk now about the mind and heart that this is to reveal that God knows the minds and the hearts. It's literally hearts and kidneys in that context. In the mind of the ancient Jews, the heart was the place of intellect and the kidneys was the place of emotion. Jesus says, I know your every thought and your every feeling. He knows all of us and what we're going through. And He will hold us accountable and judge us. To the rest of you, there is good news. There is hope. 
There's hope in the midst of living in this kind of culture of tolerance and corruption. To the rest of you, to those who do have not grabbed hold of this teaching, who have not succumbed to Jezebel's uh, leading, hold fast. Do you hear this time and time again in the churches? Like, hold fast. We talked about this. This is clinging to. It's like holding with dear life. Hold on. Remain faithful. Remain uncompromising. If you have not fallen into this, he says, hold that ground. Like, hold fast onto it. Don't get swept in. Don't get swayed. Don't get pressured. There is hope in a, cult, a corrupt culture. The hope of holding fast until He comes. I love that promise. Do you recognize that He is coming? So hold fast because He is coming. Right? He is coming. It could be today. I know we get kind of in the minds, ah, well, maybe probably not today, but it could be today. Friends, we don't know the time. And so hold fast every moment because it could be today. We know that the Scripture tells us that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit. That's God's Spirit. So that we may not gratify the flesh and the needs of the flesh and the desires of the flesh. We're told to be in His Word. How can a young man or woman keep his way pure? By holding on to God's Word. Right? It, it's putting it into our hearts. It's applying it to our lives. To the overcomer, to the overcomer, I will give authority over the nations. I will give the authority over the nations, and he will rule with a rod of iron. This references to Revelation 24, verse 4, right? And so we see that connection between that. To him who overcomes. And as we look at a corrupt, immoral culture, we can be tempted. We can be tempted to give in. We can be tempted to compromise. We can be tempted to just kind of creep over a bit. Oh, you know, God just wants to rub off on that culture. I can be tempted to live kind of too close. You ever at camp see this skit where they put the line down and that's the fence? God's on one side, Satan's on the other. But hey, if I stand on both sides, I should be okay. And the skip goes on to say, well, Satan owns the fence. You've got to be one side or the other because you cannot compromise on both. Here we're going to hold fast. We're told to hold fast. We're told that we are to be reminded that we are conquerors. And we can conquer through Christ. And we will rule with an iron uh, rod of iron. This quotation from Psalm 2 speaks of the authority of the Messiah. It's His authority. It's His ruling. He will rule over. And in that day, righteousness will be enforced. And those who rebel against Him will be dashed into pieces like the clay pot hitting that iron bar. Jesus includes this here to give us hope as faithful Christians who have overcome. overcome. Even when we feel overwhelmed. We feel overwhelmed by the immoral culture that we live in. The idolatry. If you don't think we live in an idolatry-centered world, we do. It's just not a, a golden calf of something made. It's, 
It's other things. And number one is self. It's an idol as well. And so it'll dash those things. And we can live in, as we live in this culture, we can find hope in Jesus. Because Jesus tells us, if you hold fast, you're on the winning side. Right? The constant theme throughout this book of Revelation is to trust the one who overcame. Who's the one that overcame? Jesus overcame sin. Jesus overcame death. Jesus overcame Hades. Jesus overcame the devil. Jesus is the Lamb upon the throne. Right? Jesus is God. He's in control. He has been given all authority from the Father. <clears throat> and the good news is, He's coming back and we haven't heard the last of Him. He will return. The word rule means literally to shepherd. To rule will not be simply that of executing judgment. It's not an iron fist of judgment, but it's one that administers mercy and direction and grace and love. As Barnes' commentary says, to rule with a scepter of iron is not to rule with a harsh and tyrannical sway, but with power that is firm and invincible. It denotes a government of strength or one that cannot be successfully opposed. And so we will, the overcomer, rule with Him. And it points to the Revelation chapter 20 picture that we've been seeing there. And I will give Him the morning star. This is probably the greatest of rewards that you can receive. Do you know there is a reward greater than the kingdom to come? There's a greater reward. And the greater reward in Revelation 22.16, I, Jesus, have sent My angel to testify to you about the things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. What is better than the kingdom itself? Himself. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, you don't know the morning star. You don't know the best thing about the reward. You don't have the greatest reward. Jesus is our greatest reward. Because He's the overcomer. And He's the one who will help us overcome. He's the one where we can hold on to in this culture. Friends, we don't have all the time in the world. But we do have this time. And we do need to make our choices and decisions today. If there's areas to repent, we need to repent. If there's areas to hold fast, we need to hold fast. Because He's coming soon. Heavenly Father, I pray, as we consider these words, Lord, that actually holding on to You, because You are our greatest reward, Oh Lord Jesus, we echo the words, come. We are living in a world that is challenging. It's difficult to live out our faith. It's hard to navigate through. But Lord, we recognize that as we grab hold of You, Your Word, who You are, what You've said, that Your Spirit lives within us if we have committed our lives to You and found that forgiveness and that relationship, that, Lord, Your Spirit 
is within us to help us and to empower us and to lead us. Lord, we know that we have hope and we can find hope in You through these difficult times in this culture. May we as a church recognize this, Lord. May we not be tolerant, but may we hold fast to Your Word. Hold fast to You, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.